namo tassa bhagavato arahato sanno santo tassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sanno santo tassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sanno santo tassa puttan dhammang sankham namasami So it's Magha Puja, the full moon of month of Magha or February, and it is halfway through the winter retreat. For me, it's the beginning of the winter retreat. Um, so we've had some shuffling of personnel and some worldly dharma that we've been attending to. So now, with these uposita days that we have, it's a constant redetermination of well, why you're here, what your aspiration is, and then what the tools are of this bhikkhu life, what the rules and protocols and disciplines and kawa and so on, how they are, are used for mindfulness and liberation from suffering used for uh, cultivating communal harmony, used for respecting the resources that the lay people offer us, and so on and so forth. And that we do every fortnight for the lay people living here, contemplate living uh, as a, as a samana under the eight precepts, the bhikkhus, the Batimoka and for Anagarpas, um, their, their particular um, rules and, and disciplines and we do this uh, every fortnight every fortnight every fortnight and so we're constantly hopefully reminded of our aspirations that's not just about rule keeping or that it's like why why am I here what is it about my own inner life that I am interested in and how does my life here answer those inner questions, those aspirations I have. And so how also halfway through the retreat, and it's like that kind of determination, okay, I've got this very precious time. People are very helpful to make this possible. How well am I using my, my time here? So not to be, not to waste one's time in, in distractions or whatever. And then also finding moderation in one's sense of aspiration, not being so driven that the whole experience becomes a, an absolute misery of uh, usually failure. <laughs> um, so the middle way of, of, of keen determination, but mature determination, maturity based on what can be done rather than just some kind of idealized uh, hope and expectation. Um, the worldly dharmas we're always having to deal with. So these different kind of conflicts that we were experiencing last month, this is, this is pretty ordinary for life, isn't it? Because the worldly dharmas are, are very unstable, very unreliable, and very much um, conditioned by factors outside of our control. Uh, people's emotions and, and the the use of resources and the functionality of machinery and the 
misunderstandings that people have and, and all the rest of it. These are the worldly dharmas and they are totally unreliable and yet we, we need to pay attention to them. So even though they're unreliable, if we don't pay attention to them, do our very best, then they even become more, more confused and more chaotic. And so we do our best on that level. Opinions and views, uh, ideals, these are, these are perfect. You know, whatever opinion you have, it's always usually quite perfect. <laughs> the life is, doesn't run according to my opinions or your opinions. Ideals are pretty perfect. You can have a very perfect ideal of what you should be achieving, what you should be doing, what I should be doing, how the monastery should be run or not run. Um, but you'll find that, of course, life is different than an opinion. And that's quite important so that we don't create more around the way things are than, than just that. One of the phrases of Umpa Cha, uh, I was reminded from Ajahn Jay Saro, I was just in Ubon, Ajahn Saro reminded me of the phrase Ajahn Cha used, Kenny Eng. Kenny Eng, it's just like this, like Ajahn Sumedho's phrase. It's just like this, even confusion, say. You have confusion with people and misunderstandings. It's just like this. No, no need to take it any, any further. On a worldly level, we need to take it further. We need to say, okay, what can work, what cannot work, what is according to Vinaya, what is according to our values, what, you know, how do we inform people. So those are the, the worldly ways we deal with it. But with the mind, it's just this much. A rich person is just a rich person, a poor person is just a poor person. Conflict is just conflict. And then what do we create around that? So if we have conflict, hey, we try to resolve it. But what do we then hold on to afterwards? What storylines and, and narratives just come, keep rifling through our head? It shouldn't be this way. I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't have made that decision. That wasn't the right decision. Or I made a bad decision myself. Or uh, they shouldn't be this way. Or I shouldn't be this way. That's all extra. That sounds punching, isn't it? Kenny A, it's just like this. Confusion is just like this. Disharmony is just like this. Uh, and then what, what is added on top of it? I'm, I asked everyone to have a look at that book on jhana. So if you haven't done that, please do look at that as soon as possible. Um, so in that, you know, when we talk about, it's a different way of talking about jhana is more uh, uh, let's say uh, a progression of, of composure or stillness a, a, a gradation of stillness rather than specific points uh, and, and so in the, in the, if you read about the second jhana is the abandonment of taka vijara, the abandonment of thought that's a very good thing to try to engage in during our retreat where you really don't have to think about that much except for our Syrian chemical, they're doing a lot of work, uh, and uh, obviously the kitchen too, but, but you know, outside of those worldly things, see if you can take your mind to no thought, like, like if you're feeling upset by someone's behavior. Um, I think we're quite cool now, it seems, a very, it seems actually like a monster, you know, rather than a, <laughs> a dating site. <laughs> but... Um, but just, just to, to kind of take the mind, like, like whatever you're going through, to, 
to bring up a question, what would this, what would this moment feel like without thought? Because that endless uh, making more of life than is, is thought. Creating a self, creating another, creating a bias, functioning from uh, resentment, da 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 da. That's all through thought. So again, we have to deal. So when a chemical has to think about certain things in organizing the treatment, or Siri has to think about certain things in the accounts because these. And I'm sure in your and I'll have to think about things in the kitchen and such like. So that's appropriate thought, isn't it? And I would say no thought. But, but to, to kind of begin to inquire uh, into, into this moment, and what, what would this be like without thought? Is an inquiry which doesn't uh, try to annihilate thought. It's not like you're repressing thought. But you're creating, you're using the question, which is a thought, to bring you to no thought. What would this feeling of feeling um, cold be like before I thought about it? Or what would this feeling of, of doubt feel like before I thought about it? Or what would this feeling of um, confusion or anger, what would it feel like before I thought about it? So we're, in this way, we're entering more into the stillness and silence of the attentive mind. And this you can do. You can do this all the time. If you are, um, what shall we say, if you're alert enough and, and, uh, and interested enough for that kind of inquiry, inquiry into silence. Now, if you, if you're, if you, if you like thinking, that's okay. Uh, that's all right. But in terms of calming the mind, if, and if we look at samasamadhi not as concentration, but maybe as composure, jit room, as the Thai say, the composed mind, the collected mind, we look at ekigata, if you look, read that book, not as one-pointedness, but as one-placedness, being in one place, not being scattered. If you look at that kind of language, stillness, composure, collectedness. You can see, you can do that when you're doing walking meditation. You can do that when you're going from A to B, when you're brushing your teeth, in the, in the more mundane things. So what would brushing your teeth feel like without thought? What would eating, what would the experience of eating feel like without thought? So this kind of, uh, I find, this kind of placing of a thought, a question, then really points to the problem of egotistical thinking, obsessive thinking, uh, me and my thinking, ahankara, mimankara, as opposed to functional thought or right thought. So it seems to me if you ask the question, what, what, this, what would this moment be like without thought, that is part of right thought, because it's not a thought which is driven by greed, hatred, delusion. It's not driven by some obsessive storyline or some memory which keeps haunting you or some uh, resentment which uh, has arisen or some uh, sexual fantasy or whatever it might be. It's not driven by those energies. It's more uh, instigated from wisdom, from panya, from uh, a sense of awakening. and that. 
that very thought does awaken you. What is, it, what, what is this moment like before I think about it? So the, the, the endless analysis and regret, and, you know, the endless analysis that we have of this moment, the, what, what would that feel like before we thought about it? What would doubt feel before we thought about it? So this, this you can do much more easily when you're just doing sitting meditation because it's less complex. So you're watching the breath, or you're doing walking meditation. Try that. Try to bring in the sense of, of composed stillness into, first of all, your form of practice, but all the time. So that um, the mind isn't, you're not just heedlessly walking from here to the kuti, thinking about this and that, but just stop and feel, feel the cold, look at the stars or, or, or look at the moon or whatever. And, what would this feel like before I thought about it? Before I said it was beautiful or ugly or cold or uh, or whatever. And then, then train your train your mind to do that all the time in the neutral. When there's no challenge, when there's no no real kind of heavy suffering going on, and then train your mind to do that in the more uh, extreme parts of your say emotional life or physical life when things hurt or when they're exciting, or when they have more sort of energy in them. So if you feel um, a lot of self-doubt comes up about your practice, and uh, am I getting anywhere, I'm no good, or whatever, and then, then what would that feel like before I thought about it? So you're actually making conscious the way things are. You're not denying it, but you're actually making conscious before you go to thought, because thought is not the same. Feeling of pain is not the same as the thought of pain. Feeling of cold is not the same as the thought of cold. Thought is one step removed. So to be fully conscious of the way things are, you, you, you awaken to them in this way. And when you do that, then you can start to inquire about change and not change. So you can begin to observe what is changing, and then you can ask yourself the next question, what's unchanging? Now, if you never get your attention into some silence, some space, some stillness, some composure, some collectedness, some presence, which has some um, sustained energy, sustained momentum, then, of course, that deeper question, what's unchanging, doesn't have any strength. So we, we, we do practices of composing and collecting the mind in whatever way we like to do, sound of silence, breath. Uh, asuba meditation, walking meditation, these different ways of, of really collecting and composing our attention into the moment. And then the deeper inquiry can take place. Because our aspiration, our origination, is about the realization of Nibbana. That's why we are there. And so today the uh, three Anagarkas uh, uh, asked for the Papaja, for the going forth as Samaneras, and this is a great great joy, I think, and, and, and uh, uh, we're all very pleased that they want to do that, and so that what we're saying in the, in the bhikkhu's library that the point of upasambhata or papaja is the realization of nibbana, and so there is the, the um, and our attention usually is on that which is changing, on our emotions, on uh, some project that we have, on, on uh, some memory, so our attention is drawn to, taken up by, preoccupied with that which changes. 
we need to give the mind some space, give the mind some space, learn how to be a bit more spacious, not be caught up, learn how to bring the mind to a sense of uh, stillness and composure, and then we can ask, well, what's unchanging? So by observing change, you can ask that, what's unchanging? Now there's no answer to that, because any answer is something that's changing. But the very question brings you to a state of alertness, of presence, beyond which you cannot go. And this is interesting about the, the perception, uh, uh, anicca sanya, the mindfulness of anicca, mindfulness of the perception of change brings you to the unchanging. This is a kind of interesting genius of the, of the Buddhist teaching. Now if one's just preoccupied with thinking around one's emotions or one's history or just fantasizing or whatever, uh, even or even just preoccupied with thoughts about Pali, suttas and all that, it's okay, it's still thought, it's still, it's still the condition. And, and our point of our study is to realize the unconditioned, the unchanging, the unborn. So we, 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 we need to somehow incline towards silence, somehow incline towards uh, no thought rather than thought, because thought is still something changing, uh, it's in the objective world, and it's very compelling. Thoughts of like and dislike, whatever fantasies you have, they're very, very compelling. And so, as we find ourselves thinking, we oftentimes don't really awaken to no thought. We simply will focus on an object in order to get rid of thought, or we'll kind of notice a thought and then go to another thought. And there isn't that sort of question, I guess, question, what, what's this moment like with no thought? Now that question isn't like a, a compulsion to try to force yourself not to think. It's not going anywhere. It's just a question that interrupts the flow of obsessive thinking, interrupts the flow of obsessive self-making, my-making, I-making, me-making. And because it has no answer, uh, the sense of self doesn't arise in that. You may ask yourself, well, who said that? That's another thought. So you begin, through this kind of inquiry, you begin to see what we mean when the mind is empty of self-making, I-making, my-making. Empty of that. And these, these different aspects of change and anatta begin to come together as one. You see the, you see, you see the reality of this moment as it is, kenying just like this, and then you see all the addition is unnecessary. That's something that's created through habit. And then if you try to get rid of that habit, you just, you just caught in samsara, just caught in the, in the condition realm. So rather than be judgmental about your judgments or be um, self-critical about your emotions, realize that they are not your emotions, they're simply uh, forms in nature that come and go according to causes and conditions and don't make it a problem. And the making of the problem is not the emotion, it's the thought. So anger is not a problem. Hatred is a problem, I'd say. Hatred is a problem, but hatred is really much driven by thought. Anger just arises and ceases according to causes and conditions. But then to follow that, and to yell at someone, or to believe in the projections of anger, 
Well, that's the that's that's not necessary. That's delusion. That's stupid. Uh, fear, greed, all these different things. So wisdom is is the knowing of change, rather than denying of change. But wisdom is also the knowing of boundaries, of limits, of restraint, uh, of one's own. Um, uh, tendencies to, to distraction and how to limit those. That's all part of one's own personal kind of wisdom package. And that brings us back to our, our day here, our, our patimoka, our eight precepts, the duties we have, the hierarchy, all of that is a very, very helpful way to to bring wisdom into our lives rather than just follow the habits and, and proclivities of our, our fears and desires. And that format we're all living in, we're living in this community, and we're trying to see, well, how can, how can I, uh, in my life here, be a benefit to you? And obviously how I can be a benefit to you is if I practice diligently. So you, you can more diligently, you practice, use this time with diligence and sincerity and gratitude, the more uh, that's going to help your brothers. Uh, so we encourage each other, we reinforce this, this attitude and, and, uh, and, and, and to, to see this as like, for some reason we have this good karma, we can do this, how many people can do this in the world? And for some reason we are supported in the doing of this, for some reason we have just about enough good health to do it, and we have the resources, so there's something very good in our lives, and this, this goodness is now uh, has some fruition in terms of this opportunity. And we wouldn't want to squander that. We wouldn't want to waste that with trivial pursuits and distractions. And, and so we take this goodness with gratitude, uh, uh, with a sense of responsibility, a sense of responsibility that, mm, that this goodness that we are involved in uh, also involves a kind of uh, responsibility that we have to use this time. It's not just given for nothing. It's not like a, like a vacation, is it? It's given for a reason. That reason is the realization of Nibbana. Much of the time, you know, going to no thought is rather difficult because the mind can get very obsessed and, and, and so on. So one has to be, you have to be very, very um, determined and, and, and um, be willing just to repeat the same lesson again and again and again. You have to be very determined because obsessions and fears and, and habits and projections and all those things are insidious. They're very powerful. You can't, you can't uh, dismiss them. So if you have a very self-critical mind and you think that you shouldn't feel the way you feel, well, that's not very humble. Why shouldn't you feel the way you feel? Who are you to feel, not, you should feel like an arahant. You're not the Buddha yet. And that's a kind of arrogance, isn't it? Self-disparagement. I shouldn't be this way. Well, why not? Why shouldn't you feel upset or sad or pathetic or the best thing since sliced bread? Because <laughs> they're all possible. They're all just parts of, of uh, worldly dharmas. So if lust comes forth, fine. That's just Mara, or fear, or self-doubt. But the knowing 
the awareness, the, the knowing of change, that's something which is really reliable. So the, the conditions of emotion and bodily formations and the conditions of social interaction, they're all very messy. They're all very, very messy. You never get them right. But what you can get right is awareness. Awareness of change. You can always get that right if you keep applying it. And that's the most uh, simple thing of life. Most elegant, most reliable. And yet, very elusive. Because we get so caught by, uh, by our or projections and thoughts. They're very addictive thinking, isn't it? Very addictive. So make a determination each morning when you wake up. What is it like now? What's the mood of the mind? Right, right from the get-go. What kind of thoughts are, are now being, uh, are producing this mood? And then like when you begin the meal, or when you're waiting for the meal, like, close your eyes and just, just be and, and know what's, what's the thinking mind creating now. And then when you're going back to your kitty, what's the thinking mind creating now? But what would this like be without thought, no thought? So you're letting go, letting go, letting go into the silence of the mind. And then from there you have to trust. You know, usually that's what's lacking is trust and patience because we want some insight, we want some result, we've read about well, masters achieve things, and we think we're just about there, and that, that is lacking in humility too. It's not like you're trying to get something, because that would still be self-becoming. So, very much, that's what's often lacking is patience, uh, trust, patience, trust, and awareness of change. It doesn't seem productive. It doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere, but that's the whole point. You're letting go, rather than getting somewhere, going somewhere, getting somewhere. It's different.